Hey, thanks to all of you who've been joining us and praying for uh, what God is doing really in the region. Man, we're just so thankful and give all glory and honor to God for how good He has been uh, in our lives, that He has not forgotten any one of His promises to His people. And uh, you and I are living in the goodness of God in the land of the living. And there's just no other way to describe uh, outside of what God is doing in this season. There's no other way to describe it except the goodness of God in the land of the living. So we believe that your best days are ahead. The best days for the church are ahead. And that God by His Spirit is even stirring fresh things and new things in this hour. He's pouring out fresh oil that all who believe would receive and out of their innermost being watched would flow rivers of living water. And so thanks for praying and believing and standing with us. We're in a season of acceleration of God's abundance, and uh, we're just excited, really excited for uh, some of the days that are ahead. I like to keep people updated on some of the construction projects that we're doing here at the church, and we're getting ready uh, in this next season to open up some brand new bathrooms here at the church, and so I wanted to show you a picture of what we've been working on here. Yeah, they say teamwork makes the dream work. And so we're just, in fact, I think this is how COVID started originally. It was just close contact. And so I'm just joking. I put that on my Insta story. Somebody was upset. They said, I can't believe you're spending tithe dollars on this terrible design. It's a joke. We're just joking, but uh, we're always working here at The Pursuit. We're always working. Hey, as many of you know, we've been praying uh, and believing and sending resources over to the nation of Ukraine during the season and uh, believing that even in the midst of crisis, the gospel of the kingdom goes forth and the church is advancing by force. And uh, I got a report even uh, this week, we've sending money and sending help and sending aid, humanitarian and, and also taking part in uh, really a big gospel campaign 24-7 around the clock on cable TV in Ukraine. The gospel is being preached, and we're a part of that. And I got a report this week. They called me. They said, Pastor, you want to believe what happened? They said our, our TV station uh, got bombed. Everybody else's programs were taking off the air. But somehow, someway, the missile didn't hit the one TV tower that's responsible for our gospel programming in Ukraine. And so... We know the promise of God, a thousand may fall at our left, 10,000 by our right, but it will not come near you. We will not fear the arrow that flies at night, nor the pestilence that lays waste at noonday, but our confidence is in the Lord. I want you to know as a part of this community, you're involved in reaching people that you will never meet. You're involved in being the hands and feet of God extended to nations in the midst of crisis. And what's so cool is you and I get to share in that reward in eternal places. And so thank you for praying and thank you for giving. We intend to continue to support the work of the gospel in uh, Eastern Europe. Uh, and we're going to see this crisis through. And this morning I'm going to share with you uh, out of the book of uh, Exodus chapter 14. Exodus 14. It, I, I believe it, it helps reveal some principles that could be applicable not only to your life but to this church in this season. In Exodus 14, Moses has just begun the journey of leading people out of Egyptian captivity. And many of you are familiar with that story, so I won't spend too much time on the context today. But God, through Moses, performed ten signs and wonders. 
that confronted the gods of Egypt and brought judgment and destruction on that place for keeping God's people in bondage. And the tenth sign and wonder was that the firstborn of all the Egyptian households would die, but that the Hebrew children who had the blood of the lamb smeared on their doorposts, death would pass over them. And finally, Pharaoh has no other choice but to respond to Moses and, in fact, to give permission to his request that people of God should be let go. And Moses is leading, some historians believe, up to three million people out of captivity, searching for the promised land. And they reach a great hurdle. They come face to face with the Red Sea. And as the people of God look in the review mirror, they see that the Egyptian armies are approaching to kill them, to hurt them, and to take the rest back into bondage. They begin to operate in great fear. And they're concerned that God has led them this far only to leave them at this juncture in their journey. And Exodus 14 records a dialogue that Moses is having with the Hebrew children and that God is having with Moses. I think it reveals something important for our community, and I believe by God's Spirit that He will cause this truth to be applied to your life through the preaching of this word. In Exodus 14, starting in verse 10, the Bible says this, As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up, and there were the Egyptians marching after them. Watch, they were terrified, and they cried out to the Lord. They were terrified. And they cried out to the Lord. I want you to see something, friend. We don't see things the way they are. We see things the way we are. See, God had just performed ten signs and wonders, miraculously causing the Hebrew children to come out of 430 years of Egyptian bondage. And they still don't believe in God's power to save. In fact, they say things like this, if God would just show us a sign, we would surely believe. And I think if we were to be honest this morning, we have had that conversation with God a time or two in our own spiritual journey as well. God, if you would just show me a sign, I would believe. But here's the reality, friend. No, you wouldn't. For we see his signs all around us. For even Paul says that creation testifies of the triune God. But we see these signs and then we rationalize them away all the while complaining that God won't show up. God gave you a sign and a live church in the Northwest. God gave you a sign, a spiritual family to call your own. God gave you a sign, His Holy Spirit, which now takes residence inside of you. God has already given you a sign. Now it's your job to read it. <laughs> In Matthew 12, Jesus addresses this question. He says, then some of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law said to him, Teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he answered and he said, it's a wicked and adulterous generation who asks for a sign. See, it's my conviction that we are asking for stuff that God has already given us. It's not that we don't have signs. It's that most of us refuse to read them. <laughs> In fact, my next billboard I want to take out in town. It's just going to have giant letters that says, you've been asking God for a sign. Here it is.
I'm sure the community will love that. Hear me, friend. <laughs> Crisis doesn't change you. It reveals you. The Hebrew children had been in bondage for over four centuries until eventually their exterior circumstance became their interior identity. Hear me, friend. I might be in a storm, but my identity is not chaos. I might be facing a sickness, but my identity is not infirmity. I might be facing some old habits, but my identity is not addiction. Watch what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. We are hard pressed on every side, but we are not crushed. We might be perplexed, but we are not in despair. I might be persecuted, but I haven't been abandoned. I might be struck down, but I am not destroyed. Come on, you can recognize the storm around you without allowing it to cause a storm inside of you. For identity is not a what, it's a who. And if I got Jesus in my life and I got his presence working in my life, and I've got his anointing operating in my sphere of influence. It don't matter what demon in hell is trying to oppose me or what storm of life I might face in this particular season. It does not have permission to change who I am. Hear me, friend. Fear engenders an automatic response that causes you to think worst case scenarios about every season of your life. When you fear lack, every time an unexpected bill comes up, it certainly means that you're going bankrupt. When you fear lack, every time the gas price rises, you think this is going to take me out. In fact, the only places you can get gas for under three bucks these days is at Taco Bell. When you fear sickness, Every ache and pain becomes an undiagnosed death sentence that you must now obsess over. That's why you should never Google your symptoms. When you fear betrayal, every relationship becomes just a waiting game until someone does you wrong. When you fear abandonment, every interaction is viewed through the lens of suspicion because it's only a matter of time before that person leaves me as well. Here's the reality. What I fear ultimately becomes what I worship. If poverty is my God, how can I make room for Jesus to provide? If sickness is my God, how can I make room for Jesus to heal? If betrayal is my God, how can I make room for Jesus to sustain? Fear causes you to operate with the automatic assumption that whatever is chasing me will surely overtake me, and when it does, my life will never recover. But friend, you've survived 100% of your worst days, and I'm confident God will see you through this day as well. Watch what David says. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You know what's chasing the life of a believer? Goodness and mercy all the days of my life. And I've got good news for you this morning. 
Objects in the mirror are closer than they appear. Goodness is closer than I realize. Mercy, it's closer than I realize. Revival, it's closer than I realize. Breakthrough, it's closer than I realize. These things follow me like a shadow until one day the goodness of God overtakes me and we see the fullness of what he's desired to do. And what if our automatic assumption was, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. What if our automatic assumption was the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom? What if our automatic assumption was I will deliver you out of the hand of the wicked and redeem you from the grasp of the ruthless? What if our automatic assumption was the Lord how knows how to rescue the godly from trials? For he is still Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. He is still Jehovah Shalom, the Lord who is my peace. He is still Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals all my diseases. He is still Jehovah Nisi, the Lord who covers me. The Lord is my light and my salvation, and in him I will trust. Watch what David says. Bless the Lord, all my soul. All that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul. And forget not all his benefits. He who forgives your iniquities. He who heals all your diseases. He who redeems your life from the pit. He who crowns you with loving kindness and tender mercies. Who satisfies your mouth with good things. So that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Hear me, pursuit. Forget not the benefit of the Lord. This is who he is. Don't forget pursuit. He provided the last building and he'll provide the next one. Don't forget business person. He gave you wisdom before and he gonna give you wisdom again. Don't forget mom or dad. He gave you grace before and he will give you grace again. See, I can't afford to forget because when I forget the one who supplies all my need, that's when I become tempted to look other places for temporary relief. Watch verse 11. Then they said to Moses, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done to us by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, Leave us alone? Let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. Hear me, friend. You can leave Egypt... But until Egypt leaves you, you'll operate as a slave wherever you go. Egypt wasn't just a place. It was a way of thinking, a way of living, a way of believing, a way of worshiping. The ten signs and wonders that Moses performed in front of Pharaoh, that took 40 days. But it took 40 years in the wilderness until Egypt got out of God's people. It was a daily developmental battle for you to think like the kingdom of God while living in the kingdoms of men. you got to constantly remind yourself of who you are, where you belong, who has your allegiance, and what type of person you will be. The Northwest is like Egypt. I am in it, but I'm not of it. I may live in Egypt for a season, but I will always be a son of promise. Watch what Paul says in Romans 6. For we know... That our old self was crucified. We were crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. 
Hear me. Paul is writing Christians, reminding Christians that they are no longer slaves to sin. Because sometimes freedom takes a reminder in order for God's people to walk in it. See, some of you are here today by virtue of coming out of environments that had grown stale or felt dead for many years. And I am officially giving you permission to find freedom in the fresh things that God is doing in this church. Friend, it is simply your time to come alive. I'm here to remind you you're more free than you thought. See, when that old man tries to pull you back into those old habits, when that graveyard season tries to wrap you up in those tomb clothes, when your past comes calling, why don't you just go ahead and remind every demon in hell that what God is doing in me is more powerful than what the enemy has tried to do against me. I'm not who I used to be. I'm no longer a slave. And that's why we got to repeat these things in our life time and time again. Because the tempter comes time and time again. And just about every day is a fresh opportunity to remind yourself that whom the sun sets free is actually free. Now, I've been freed from that. No, that's not who I am anymore. No, that doesn't get to define me anymore. That's not my identity anymore. No, I know I came out of a storm, but I'm not going to allow a storm to rage inside of me. I'm going to operate in faith, not fear. I'm going to operate in peace, not chaos, because greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. I'm no longer a slave to that stuff, for I've been made new. There's a story of a gentleman who was walking through an elephant camp and he spotted that all the elephants were not kept in cages or held by the use of chains. All that was holding them back from escaping the camp was a small piece of rope tied to one of their legs. As this man gazed upon the elephants, he was completely confused as to why the elephants didn't just use their strength to break the rope and escape the camp. This could have been easily done so. But instead, they didn't even try at all. Curious and wanting to know the answer, he asked a trainer nearby why the elephants were just standing there and never tried to escape. The trainer replied, while they were very young and much smaller, we used the same size rope to tie them. And at that age, it was enough to hold them. As they grow up, they are conditioned to believe they cannot break away. They believe the rope can still hold them, so they never try to break free. The only reason that the elephants weren't breaking free and escaping from the camp was that over time, they adopted the belief that it just wasn't possible. See, Egypt was the rope on the leg of God's people. Over time, they had become conditioned to such a degree that they preferred the certainty of bondage over the uncertainty of freedom. And I got a question for you today, Pursuit. What are the ropes that have held you back that the enemy has convinced you are too strong for God's anointing to break? What are the lies that you have believed that have kept you in bondage way longer than you ever needed to be? Because we serve the God whose anointing breaks the yoke of bondage whose power smashes every chain and who will allow you to walk free if you've just got the faith to believe. I know it's scary to trust God. If it were easy, everyone would do it. 
But don't allow the social conditioning of your past to become the reason you can't dream for a better future. Let's break the rope and doing so, follow hard after God. And people stay in toxic places way longer than they should because they prefer the familiarity of dysfunction over the fear of unknown freedom. I don't know where God is taking you and all he will end up doing through your life, but I know this, if you will trust him today with your whole heart, he will take the pain of yesterday and turn it into the praise of tomorrow because that is just simply the type of God that we serve. It would have been easier for us to serve the Egyptians. You know what? They were probably right. But God doesn't call you to easy. He calls you to worthwhile. And in verse 13, the Bible says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the deliverance of God, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. Come on, there's a verse that we quote quite a bit in this environment. Oftentimes it sounds like this, but it's not entirely, entirely right. What the enemy meant for evil, God will use for good. But can I read you the verse this morning? The Bible says this, You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. The key word in Genesis 50 and in verse 20 is the word intend. God intends it for good, meaning the intention of God is to use this thing for your benefit, but he can't do that unless you hold your peace. More important than holding a sword to defeat the Egyptians, God's people were tasked with holding their peace. More important than holding a meeting to strategize about what to do next, God's people was tasked with holding their peace. More important than holding a vote to determine the direction of the Hebrew children, God's people were tasked with holding their peace. Friend, if you've got peace, everything else will follow. And if you don't have peace, no matter what else follows, you won't ever be happy. That word hold in the Hebrew literally means to engrave on one's skin. It reminds me of what Moses says in Deuteronomy 11. Imprint these words of mine on your heart and minds. Bind them as a sign on your hands and let them be a symbol on your foreheads. See, peace is a stabilizing force in your life. It's what allows you to trust God in the midst of difficult circumstances, knowing that he has already figured it out. In fact, that's why Isaiah the prophet says, you will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. See, peace is a gift from God. And if the world didn't give it, guess what? The world can't take it. But it doesn't mean that God won't allow me to give it away. You can't take my peace, but I can lose my peace if I don't hold my peace. And in verse 16, the miracle happens. Lift up your rod, stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots, and his horsemen. I love the instruction that God gives Moses. Lift up your rod 
It reminds me of the simple instructions of Jesus throughout the New Testament prior to doing miracles. Pick up your mat. Give me your lunch. Stretch forth your hand. Go wash in the river. See, God has a track record of taking your common and using it for a supernatural purpose if you will just give him something to work with. And I want you to see something, friend. The deliverance of God's people was just as much assigned to the Hebrew children as it was their Egyptian taskmasters. These people belong to me. Watch. The move of God has national implications. It is for the rearrangement of kings and queens. It is for the disempowerment of the enemy's forces. It is for the advancement of God's people. It is for God to gain honor over the rulers of this region. Come on, when God revives a church, it's not just to bless the people that attend, it's to send a clear message to the principalities and powers of this region that I am the Lord your God. I am not done with my people and I will perform in accordance with what I have promised. The Lord tells Moses, this isn't just for the Hebrew children. This is so I gain honor over Pharaoh and all of his horsemen. Can I tell you, friend, what God does in your life? No, it's not just for you. Not just for you to feel good about all the nice things that God is doing in and through you. No, he uses your life and your sphere of influence as a message to rulers, principalities, and powers that the God that we serve is not yet done with his people. When I hear that phrase, hold your peace, I have flashbacks to old war movies where a commander is standing in front of his soldiers and the enemy army is advancing. You can see people start to quake and shake and fall in fear and they're terrorized and they're wondering maybe if this will be the closing moments of their natural life and the commander will look back at his soldiers who are all lined up and he'll say something like this, hold the line, don't give an inch, don't back up, this is our moment, this is what we've trained for, this is what you were created for, hold the line. And if there's a message I could leave with you this morning, friend, is that in the midst of chaos, hold your peace. In the midst of your marriage, which feels like it's on the rocks, hold your peace. In the midst of not knowing how you're going to pay the bills, hold your peace. In the midst of not knowing what to do next, hold your peace. In the midst of your kids creating chaos, hold your peace. In the midst of feeling like you want to back down and give up, hold your peace. Because if God's people will hold their peace, God will take his sword and vanquish his enemies right in front of you. Come on, pursuit, hold your peace hold your peace come on why don't you stand all across this room let me pray for you this morning I believe that God by his spirit wants to engrave this message on your heart I want you to hear something today friend peace isn't just a gift watch it's a person because Jesus is referred to as the perfect prince of peace. And to the increase of his kingdom and government, there is no end. Which means peace is not just an object that God grants me in time of need. 
It's the very representation of his presence that walks with me through every season of life. And today, if you have put full faith in the saving work of Christ Jesus, his peace lays, lays residential in your life. And I believe will empower you to operate in this season without allowing the spirit of fear or chaos to ultimately become your identity. If we will hold our peace, God will fight on our behalf. Sounds like a pretty good deal to me. And I think for us as a community, we can make those commitments in this hour. Father, we love you. God, we honor you. God, we thank you that you are at work this morning in ways that would completely blow our minds. No, we don't always know. We don't always understand. We, we don't always have the ability to figure out how you're working or when that breakthrough is coming. But God, we commit in this hour to allow your peace to be engraved on the interior of our hearts. We're gonna hold our peace, we're gonna stand still, and we're gonna see the victory of God. God, I thank you this morning that instead of a troubled mind, you give us a renewed mind. Instead of an anxious spirit, you give us one that is at rest. Instead of anxiety, you give us peace power, love, and a sound mind. And so, Father, this morning we receive from you the necessary ingredients that we need for the next chapter of our season of faith. And God, if you would grant it, we'd give you all the praise, the glory, the honor, both now and forever. If you will be our God, we will be your people. Father, we love you. We honor you this morning. We say, do your best work inside of us. In Jesus' name. Come on, all God's people said amen. Come on, friend, if you're here today, you feel like, Pastor, I'm in the middle of a storm. I need healing breakthrough in my life. I need wisdom for that upcoming decision. I feel like I'm operating in anxiety. I'd sure love to stand in peace. I want to make room to pray for you today that God, by His Spirit, would do a tremendous work in your life. If that's you, why don't you make your way forward? We're going to add our faith to yours to see God do a miracle in your life. If not, God bless I want to thank you for joining us for church. God is doing something special again in the Northwest, and you're a part of it. Would you invite a friend next week? Help us build the house of God together. We'll see you real soon. God bless.